So I have been excited about this for quite a long time, um, been tracking with Rose what Rose does in her job. And one of our primary um, sense of calling or conviction here is we steward everyone to fulfill their what we call original design or calling or their why on earth. We're here to facilitate people connecting with their calling and supporting each other in that journey, championing each other. So there'll be things that Rose talks about which will overlap and intersect very much with other people's passions and callings here as well. Um, what's so beautiful about Rose's story is how, quite exceptionally, her, her career is, is so in alignment it's with her uh, personality and her calling and how God's made her in, in quite a striking and beautiful and hope faith-filled way. So I'm going to be asking Rose what she does and asking um, her to kind of share some of her background, what she does, what she feels God is doing and, and how we can support her in her role. So Rose, firstly, let's just give Rose a massive round of applause. It's incredibly courageous to share anything, very courageous to talk about your career in a, in a setting where you don't necessarily know everyone who's listening. This podcast will only be available by permission. It, it won't just be available on the website, but even still, it's, it's very courageous and very humble and open of Rose intersecting, you know, her, her, her personal faith with, um, her career in, in the city of Bristol. So, Rose, can you tell me a bit about your backgrounds, what your passions are, your career um, past to date? Um, so, yeah, can everyone hear me? I'm not used to a microphone. I normally stand up and talk with my job, but I just shout at people. Really <laughs> um, so I am a police officer, joined the police in 2001 um, after doing a law degree. And I think from a really young age, I always had this really strong sense of right and wrong and justice and not really understanding, even as a child, injustice. And, you know, if my brother and sister got a bigger piece of cake, I want to know why. <laughs> I don't have the same size. Um, so, yeah, I had this, this drive um, around, you know, things being right and there being a really strong sense of justice and um, feeling that everyone should have access to that. So I did a law degree and thought about becoming a lawyer and very quickly became disillusioned and realised that my calling was actually I wanted to work with people. Mm. Um, I wanted to work frontline. And I had a very strong sense that I didn't need to change the world. What was really important is that could I make change for individual people mm. and wanted to, to do that. So, yeah, joined the police and... Um, I had an experience when I was at college where a friend of mine had disclosed um, to me that she'd been date raped. And I remember then feeling like, why wasn't she able to go to the police? Why um, couldn't we do something about this? Why there was this issue around, well, he'll say she consented, so we couldn't do something about this. So when I joined the police, I had an interest in getting involved in sexual violence and 
So I became something called a first response officer. I was the sort of youngest in service trained officer after pastoring my sergeant and doing everything I could to, to help officers who already did this work. So I got trained with 14 months service in this role. Um, and so I started going out. If there was a rape or serious sexual assault that came in, I'd be the first response for that. And I'd work with that woman around gathering all the evidence, forensic evidence and um, the written statement from them and supporting them through the criminal justice system. So that was sort of my introduction. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, did you feel that that was connecting with a sense of who you were? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I always felt with my job that God was telling me I was in the right place. This is where he wanted me to be. I, but I had an absolute sense that I couldn't do some of the things I did without just him always being there and always carrying me through it. Um, and just really, really loved the first response work, loved being able to come in and help someone to access the criminal justice system if that's what they wanted, to um, treat them with kindness and make them feel believed and um, just to have a good experience of the police at that really difficult time. Thank you, Rose. And then <coughs> your, I think you um, had a bit of a change in career, maybe around the time of having children. Tell us about that sort of phase, the, the, the shift in your career progression at that point. Yeah, um, I moved out of response work um, into training um, officers when I had Isaac, sat there, and my daughter later on, um, and me, and just had a break from that kind of full-on, yeah. full-on work, but really missed it and really felt God calling me back. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as soon as Eliza was in nursery, I went back into that area of work, and um, yeah, did that then for another six or seven years before starting my current role. And during that time, did you came to Hope and you had original design prayer. Do you want to share yeah, a bit about that? Yeah, um, so I hadn't heard of original design until I came here um, and was a little bit sceptical about what it was going to be. And, and also, was it going to be, like, <coughs> really general and, you know, not really show me you know, who God had really intended me to be. And then I met with three lovely women here and they didn't know me and knew nothing about me and had my original design prayer and um you know sort of thanked them at the end and went away and then was and was really quite blown away by what had come out I remember discussing it with my husband Steve and it was just Mm. phenomenal how much of who I am was represented in that and um so we've got a lovely friend in Cornwall who's a graphic designer who put our original design mine and Steve's together on a poster which we have above Ooh. our bed, which is very nice. It's nice. Um, but yeah, Christmas so, present ideas, anyone? Yeah. Hannah Oakes, yeah, graphic definitely designer. Hannah Oakes would do it. <laughs> um, so one thing that it really strongly come out is um, that I'm protective and you guard um, those in your care who are vulnerable, that you're brave, you fight the adversity and stand your ground, um, that I'm a deep well, you love to dig deep and to get to the truth and to gain justice. 
Um, uh, you're a decisive, make wise choices. You know what the right thing to do is. Um, and I was quite blown away by how much of my work life myself was represented in my original design prayer, especially them having no idea what I did or, you know, we'd had a five-minute conversation before the prayer. Um, so, yeah, that was amazing. That's brilliant. So what we want to, that's the sort of background, what we want to focus on is this new role that you've been in now for 18 months. Can you tell us some of the initial, what the role is, some of the initial yep. difficulties? So um, I'm the sex work liaison officer for Avon and Somerset, so I have responsibility for policing on and off street sex work and sort of scanning for human trafficking um, in relation to adult sexual exploitation. So... Um, my role is kind of split into two parts. So the on-street sex work, we have a, a real history of on-street sex work in Bristol. And um, we're the place sort of outside of Plymouth for the southwest for on-street sex work. We have a cohort of about 120 women who are out um, on-street sex working in the sort of fish ponds eastern area. It's a really small little area that has got really good links to the M32, so the curve callers can get in and out quite easily. And um, those women are just the most vulnerable women um, in our force in this area. They are... um, 100% of them are Class A drug addicts, so crack and heroin and also alcohol... Um, they have had lots of adverse child experiences. Um, most of them have been through child sexual exploitation and sexual abuse as children. Um, they have physical health problems, massive physical health problems, as well as mental health problems, PTSD. Most are homeless or sofa surfing. Um, and... Um, a lot of them are in domestic violence situations, so there's quite often a man behind all of the on-street sex workers who's, um, I hate the expression pimping, but it might be something you understand. Like they're exploiting them and, and um, getting them to sex work to pay for their drug addiction, and the woman's doing it, obviously, to pay for their addiction as well. Um, so it's just a huge amount of exploitation, and this is kind of right at the... Um, most exploitative end of on-street sex work is these really, really vulnerable women you see in Bristol. And there's sort of a hardcore cohort of about 30 who are regularly, regularly out sex working. Um, and unfortunately, with the current climate, that's sort of increased. So I do a lot of work to, um, around these really vulnerable on-street sex workers who are repeated victims of rape and sexual violence. You're talking on a regular monthly basis that these women um, are being raped, gang raped, really seriously sexually assaulted. Um, I also look at off-street sex work, and this is kind of our unseen area of sex work. So it's re- we can really know how many women we've got on-street sex working because we are out... Um, they're looking for them, engaging with them, and we have the One Two Five Project in Bristol. Her charity are absolutely amazing, and they put an outreach van out, so we have a really good idea as to who these women are. With our off street, they are completely unseen, and there is a huge market of off street sex work. Um, so we have commercial premises, which you may have driven past, um, called massage parlours, which have blacked out windows and these are brothels not massage parlors 
Um, there's about five or six established commercial massage parlours in Bristol. Most of the women who work there are foreign nationals. The on-street sex work cohort are all British nationals. Um, and the reason for that is, obviously, if we had foreign nationals off-street sex working here illegally in the country, it's very seen. So we would be looking at dealing with them for immigration and, and trying to get them out of that situation by using that as a way in. With the off-street, it is um, a way that these women can work and earn money because a lot of them have children to send home um, because they don't have the opportunity to work legally. They end up working in these parlours. And then beyond the commercial massage parlours, we have pop-up brothels where um, women will advertise on sex work adverts and quite often they're controlled by someone. So there may be um, an organised crime gang controlling the women in these situations. Um, they may be doing it themselves. There may be a couple of women set up in a pop-up brothel and again, they're quite often foreign nationals and they're doing it because they don't have an opportunity to earn money legally and they're sending the money home quite often for children. And then the... Beyond that, with the Austria, we have the women who are in um, trafficking, human slavery in relation to sexual exploitation, who have no idea where they are. They don't have their passports. Um, they are driven around different cities and put into uh, different places with a, with a male there who will let the men in and out, and they really don't have any choice, so it's just repeated sexual violence against these women um, there is no consent at all um, around what they're doing so that's the that's the sort of remit I cover um, with the on and off street sex work and when I started the role um, there's myself and I have my um, a person I work with called Tess who's absolutely fantastic but she went on to maternity leave just when I started and we work with um, a sergeant who has been doing uh, this work for a long time, amazing, really experienced. And fortunately, she went off sick for five months, so it was a, a baptism of fire when I started. It was really tough, hard work, because it's a lot of risk to be carrying. Um, but lovely Alice and Chris and the team all prayed for me, which was fantastic, because it was quite an overwhelming start. And just thinking, in my limited time at work, how can I make what I do matter and effective and how can I sort of support the women and, and affect change it's a massive massive task um, yeah so that was sort of my introduction that's what um, I cover and um, in the last 18 months doing the role I just want to say there is a you know we see um, how sex work is portrayed by the media um, that that percentage of, of women and I talk about it being men and women because you know, 99% of the people I deal with are women who are sex working. It's men purchasing the um, sex. Very small percentage the other way around. Mm -hmm. We do have a few on-street male sex workers, but it is a really small percentage. Um, I haven't met one woman who says, oh, yeah, I want to be doing this. Um, even women I've met who are sex working off-street and charging slightly more. And we're not talking about a lot of money. We're talking about maybe £80 an hour. It's not a lot of money. Um, on-street sex workers charge £20, and the commercial premise, they'll charge 50 and give half to the house. So they are earning very little. It's not a lucrative trade, and most of the money is taken by the exploiters. I haven't met anyone who says they want to be doing this at all. Um, 
the media can portray it as being empowering and there's lots of reasons around that and um, can portray that very, very small percentage of women who might be setting themselves up on OnlyFans and are very in the high end. That is such a tiny, tiny percentage. And when we do our training and look at sex work as a whole and we, we break it down, there is a very, very small percentage of people, women mainly, who are consensually sex working. Most are in categories of exploitation, modern slavery, or survival sex. So they're doing it because they're purely driven by a drug addiction, by not being able to pay rent, so they're sleeping with their landlord for lots of reasons, but um, there's a very, very small percentage of women who are consensually sex working. Thank you, Rose. That's really helpful. So what, in the last 18 months, after your baptism of fire and, and we prayed, can you tell us what has been happening in the last 18 months, both in on street and off street, sex work and what your uh, we're going to get to what your approach is and what are some of the outcomes you're looking for yeah so um if i if i talk about our approach first um is very much around something called the nordic model so we look at um not criminalizing the women in any way because we acknowledge that the women are incredibly vulnerable and they need support and safeguarding and signposting and help to get pathways out of sex work and we look at disruption when it comes to the men and the exploitation and that's our focus is on stopping that so um i run four um operations a month where we go out in plain clothes under a surveillance authority and we um engage with the women and we look to um catch the men that are picking the women up and disrupting um what they're doing um we look then at safeguarding the women pointing them to hostels and 125 and whatever different needs they have such as um getting scripts for their drug addiction um just finding placements that night somewhere for them to sleep quite often but with the men we look at putting giving them something called a caution a conditional caution which stops them coming into the area and putting them on something called a change course which is a little bit like if if you or I were speeding and we went on speed awareness course and it'd be like re-education around why is that dangerous the change course is similar so we get about 10 um, of the men on each course and we talk to them around the sex workers who they are their vulnerabilities and we get them to look at um why they're doing that their attitudes towards these women we try and stop them from dehumanizing these women because that is what happens the women aren't seen as people they're dehumanized that's how a lot of the men can offend against them the way they do um we have a 95 percent success rate with the change course which is massively high when you look at a criminal justice intervention um so only five percent go on to reoffend, and then they only get the one chance anyway once they start doing that we take them to court um we've been doing this operation for a long time and it doesn't stop the curb calling you're i don't think you're you're ever going to stop that until there's a shift in society where men stop seeing women's bodies as something they can purchase and i'm not saying that to the men here that all men feel that way absolutely not but there's um, a significant portion and there's a drive in society around we've seen some of the behaviours increasing around um, violent pornography that people consume these days and break down in attitudes and 
those kind of moral barriers people have. Once we start consuming things like violent pornography over and over, those start to... So we've seen some of the services people are asking for. Um, they represent these kind of trends of hair pulling and violent oral sex and these kind of things start to increase. Um, so, yeah. And where was I, Alice? I've lost my train of thought now. That was brilliant. Thank you. Sorry, I know this isn't a, an uplifting subject, and I'm quite, I hope I'm not shocking anyone because I'm quite used to talking about this stuff. It's like my everyday mm. bread and butter. Um, no, but yeah, so we run those operations yeah, for the on street, and then off street sex work, we um, look, we run um, an operation once a month where we look at something I've been trying to change is, is making this really meaningful. I want to get into addresses where women are being trafficked. Um, so we get a lot of intelligence through. And women who are in real exploitation are moved really quickly. So they'll only be in one location for a few weeks and then they'll be moved. Um, so we're now scanning the sex work adverts and there's certain triggers around things like women offering unprotected sex and certain extreme sexual services um, that indicate they might be in trafficking. So we're using some AI system around that and going to make appointments with a burner phone, getting in to see these women. And we've been really getting in the last few months since we started to move our operation on to women who are trafficked. So, uh, for example, into an address where there was a male there who let my male colleague in, who's sort of the stooge. And the woman was advertised as like an 18-year-old Thai girl. In fact, it was a 42-year-old Chinese lady in the address. Didn't have a passport. She didn't know that where she was. This is in our city. She had no idea um, and spoke very, very limited English. She didn't know what services she was offering. She hadn't even seen the advert that, you know, was out there um, offering her sexual services. Um, so these are the kind of things we're starting to see now. And... These women, we are desperately trying to get them into something called the National Referral Mechanism um, to get them support from the government, to get them the housing they need and out of this situation and start getting them linked to with charities that we haven't, like, unseen in Bristol who are amazing and work with people in trafficking. Um, and Beloved, I don't know if people here might have heard of Beloved. Um, we've... I've got to know Julia from her talk here and we've partnered together and it's been absolutely incredible knowing that there's other Christians out there working in this area. So Julia always provides someone from Beloved, if it's not herself, someone else to come out on those operations now, which is fantastic because then they can engage with the women who might not want to talk to the police, might be really scared that the police are there to arrest them and not understand that's that's not, and they're not committing crime, we're not there for that purpose. Um, so there's great partnership working with Beloved who then can help support these women with retraining and access to counselling and things that they need to help them get out of sex work. So that's, um, yeah, that's the different sort of operations to do at the moment. Um, I also met with this lovely, amazing woman called Jo Ritchie, um, who's a Christian who works for Bernardo's, and we've started a project about a year ago called Nightlight where we... Um, go out in engagement car and, and talk to the on-the-street women um, about any children who are out engaging in sex work. Obviously, child sexual exploitation are being forced into sex work. Um, 
and that has been really successful. So we've got some other people who are joining our project. We've had some amazing results. We've safeguarded about 20 children and, um, this year, the, well, the last 12 months, and that was just with me and Joe going out once a month, and which we now in, increase that project. We've got more people coming out and got buy-in from the council and the regional organised crime unit around it now. Um, and we've had amazing intelligence around serious sex offenders who are targeting the adult sex workers. Um, and that project is, there's some interest now from other geographical areas, which would be fantastic if it gets rolled out. Um, and to try and stop this, the, the child sexual exploitation and these girls being put into sex work in the first place. And we've had a couple of girls recently, and because we've been out, we've seen them really quickly and spotted that they're um, most likely getting involved in sex work. We've been able to put the interventions in place much, much quicker and get them out of that. Um, and so that project is um, getting a superintendent's award, which is really lovely that um, it's getting some recognition. And... Um, I've managed to get some money, not very much, but like £500 from here and £500 from there. And so we can buy just engagement items to talk to the women, you know, like drinks and chocolates and condoms and bits that they need. And this is my little sales pitch, actually, is I'm trying to put some bags together for the women for Christmas. So um, if anyone's got travel-sized toiletries... Or they can buy just beanie hats or gloves, just cheap ones. That would be amazing. And I'll put a box in the corner. Just I'd try and give them some bits around Christmas. Because they don't see any family. They don't get Christmas presents from anyone. And it can be a really hard sell actually saying to people, would you donate something for a sex worker? Um, but, it, you know, it means a massive amount. Last year, me and Jay were giving them lint teddy bears, so if you wanted to give chocolates. And they were just made up with that, that someone actually cared and gave them something. Um, but that scheme's just been phenomenal because we call them our street guardians and we very much partnered with the women. And um, because most of them have gone through sexual exploitation and forced into sex work themselves, they've massively responded to it and want to talk to us. Um, you said that you, through um, Nightlight with Joe, you've safeguarded 20 children in the city, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. So I just want to reflect back uh, there. Rose's partnership with Joe, who works for Bernardo's and goes to Woody's, is something that is being seen as workable and rep replicable across other geographical regions which is really encouraging and is already intervening significantly in individual lives and one of the things Rose said at the beginning was her sense of calling wasn't a sort of big change the world but it was one by one and there are 20 we know there are 20 children now in this city whose life path is taking a different route because of your intervention um, but ironically when we love the one if it is replicable Actually, it is the way that God often expands his kingdom work. So we'll be praying for that blessing on that, um, that it is replicable and, and children who are vulnerable in that way will have interventions when they need it and the life outcomes that will be different um, as a result of, of your work and Joe's work. So you are clearly innovating. You, I love what you said. You, you're that famous 
expression. I'm not asking permission, I'm asking forgiveness. You are just innovating, you're seeing a need, you're thinking creatively, how can you bring new ideas and ways of, of, of doing things and interventions to make a difference? So can you talk about Operation Breakthrough as well? Yeah, so yeah, that was the one around the adult sex work advert. So that change has been great and that's going forward. And it's great having Tessa come back to work and she's really on board and taking that project forward, which is fantastic. Um, and, um, I've got a couple of other projects going what real passion that the sex workers essentially in the last 18 months, we've not had one successful prosecution and we've had some horrendous, horrendous offending. So, um, one woman was, was, um, picked up in a van, gang raped, taken to a flat, locked in a cupboard, and then different men came and raped her for three days. And then she was put back in the van and driven back to the red light area and dumped in the street. And this is the kind of offending that, that these women are subjected to is, is just awful. And, um, it's so complicated to try and get these women to engage in the criminal justice system because they, the most they'll talk to me is for about 10 minutes and then they have to go and work because they're in a cycle of needing to purchase drugs um, to numb all the trauma and because of their addiction and there isn't, their lives are totally chaotic. I cannot emphasize, they cannot keep an appointment. It, their lives are absolutely chaotic and they're just in this cycle, this sex work and exploitation um, and a lot of them say their habit might be say £200 a day it's a constant cycle they will sex work and use and sex work and use and sleep and sex work and use and that is that is it and a lot of them they don't you know they don't eat they don't get enough sleep their health outcomes are terrible they will discharge themselves from hospital and they're very unwell because of that desire to um, use they will disclose to me that they've been raped when I'm out on the operations and their exploiters will get angry or beat them up because they didn't get any money because they were raped, they weren't paid for the sex work and then they will be forced immediately back into sex work so they will go and pick up another client and that is sort of the the cycle they're in. So I absolutely would like to see more of these men prosecuted. So um, we do something called get an early evidence early evidence forensic samples when someone's been seriously sexually assaulted and the lots of sex workers they will not wait for response officers to arrive when these things have happened they won't even report it to us but they will tell the 125 fan or they might tell me and joe if we're out so what we're doing now is um i've gone through a lot of red tape to get to the point where i have got the uh, Detective Chief Inspector, who's the head of our sort of sexual violence, um, Blue State, Operation Blue State, it's called, um, in our investigation department. I finally got permission to uh, write some training and train the volunteer staff to take these early evidence forensic samples and got funding for silly things like they need a freezer in the 125 project with a lock on and little things like that. And there is no money. There is no money anywhere at the moment. Um, but I've been really blessed. My mother-in-law was getting rid of a freezer. <laughs> so that just arrived, which is great. And um, so, yes, so that should happen. And then at least then, if these women are attacked and they 
they do give these initial samples and it's just silly things like I've purchased clothes from Primark so they can change their clothes so we can get their knickers and their clothes with forensic evidence on because they're homeless they don't have any clothes so saying to them I need to seize your clothes it just doesn't work um, so we've now got bags of clothes so they can change into new clothes and we can get them and then in two or three years' time, if those women are in a totally different place and they have managed to get out of sex work, they have a choice to turn around and say, I want to do something about this attack. In 20 years' time, they have a choice because we will retain those samples and we will look at them. And we have horrible, prolific sex offenders who target the women. If we find out that this woman has been raped by one of those prolific sex offenders, we will look to disrupt them in other ways. Even down to, like, no insurance on their car, we'll seize their car. We will look at getting civil orders on them, sexual harm prevention orders on them, which they breach all the time and they go to prison for breaching those. We'll do anything we can. Um, But we need to know who they are. So that is hopefully going to help just to identify some of these offenders and give these women a choice. And then I have got the bit between my teeth about this. So then we um, we don't take accounts from rape victims on our body-worn cameras that you see police officers wear. Um, I have got one of those. I'm plain clothes, but obviously you can still use it. And myself and Tess are um, just going to ask forgiveness and we're going to use our body-worn camera were to get account from some of the on-street women because they will not provide a proper video interview. And we're going to try and get the Crown Prosecution Service to run it and have this evidence admitted as hearsay, which shows an account and the initial distress, etc., that is going on. So I want these little projects to come together mm. so that to a point where these women may not well be able to engage or go into the criminal justice system and that is their choice and that is not I'm not here just to prosecute people I'm here to safeguard the women that's where my heart lies but I want them to have a choice and if we can gather this evidence from them we need to meet them where they are because they're too chaotic to meet us where we want them to be and um, it's a hard sell So, so to reflect back what Rose is doing is innovating at the moment um the way women can access the criminal justice system just doesn't work for the way the women are. But if if other people who are volunteers not on the police force can get evidence immediately at a drop-in, for example, the 125 van, then that evidence is always there. And there are other initiatives with body camera and everything that, that Rose is thinking, actually, this is how we can safeguard women. So there's innovation going on here, which we believe is a is a human principle and particularly a kingdom principle that God often gives us innovative ideas to solve very, very complex problems. And so you are beginning to see little, you're beginning to see kind of ways of safeguarding women and children that are are actually working. And you can see they can work, you're convinced by them, and you're beginning to get permission and people are beginning to see that. Yeah. Um, tell me the ranks of the police and where you go to get your, how you <laughs> skip all the, yeah, the yeah. ranks. So there's, I'm PC because I don't want to be promoted. Um, because I, you can't do the, what I want to do if you're promoted. And then I have a sergeant, you have inspector, chief inspector, superintendent, chief superintendent. Then you have the called ACPO rank, so that's where you have your assistant chief constable, your deputy chief constable, and your chief constable at the very top. Um, so for some of mine, I've just gone straight up 
to Sarah Crew, the chief constable, <laughs> because um, I'm fed up with the, the chief inspector just paying lip service to things. And so I have just nightlight. I took it straight up to Sarah Crew, and she was really supportive and got the green light. And it's you know impact reports are written and it's rolled out. Um, which is fantastic, and actually they, they love it at the very top because there's such an agenda against violence against women and girls at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I am quite happy to be quite belligerent because I really feel like we just need to do things and don't like all the procrastination sometimes that you get. Um, and, yeah, so me and Tess and Emma are just, I think we're very good at just being three very belligerent perimenopausal women who... (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, So we've talked about outcomes with on-street sex workers is for them to be able to engage the criminal justice system. The outcomes you want to see for off-street sex workers, where where we have the data on the on-street, it's about 120, as you say, with about 30... Um, off street, the data is is almost completely. You're just mm. beginning to get the data through your analysis yeah. of those adverts. Um, it's so by nature unseen. Yeah. What outcomes do you want to see in the unseen? So with the unseen se- off street sex work. Yeah, um, I know you asked me, Alice, about the figures, and it's so hard. So I did look, and the National Crime Agency had some figures, but they they approximate that um, they had twelve thousand women. This was the most upstate figures are pre-COVID, which is a bit concerning, but 12,000 women who went into the National Furrow Mechanism. So they're the ones who have been found. So they think it's probably tens of thousands of women who are in sexual exploitation in this country, which is just shocking and awful. And, um, yeah, mass- massive, massive, um, overwhelmingly massive figure. Um, what I want is more staff, um, and more of a drive to look at this area. I have been told in work that really we don't really want you lifting the rock on this, Rose, because we don't have the resources in investigations to take on your investigations, and human trafficking investigations are massive and resource-heavy. And I, my argument has been, well, actually, if we can safeguard the women, I don't care about the prosecutions right now. The first step is let's get the women out of sexual exploitation or, or men if they're involved too, but like I said, generally it's women. Um, so we just started doing that anyway. So, and we've been left to do it. No one said, well, you can't, but we will see what happens when we start turning up lots of investigations. Um, but yeah, my argument is we we just have to try and get these these women out of exploitation. My like my vision would be that Bristol be a city where the traffickers know that the police will not tolerate this, and it won't be a, a city that women are trafficked through. That would be my idea. That there was lots of people doing this work, and it and um, it had the. Um, spotlight it should have unfortunately with policing people um, generally want they want their burglaries investigated and I understand that and it's a hard sell to say actually the police might respond less well to this because they are out getting women out of sexual slavery and it's really really challenging but that would be my vision that was that is what I want and um, but it's too big so just trying to help one woman at a time. 
So just to reflect, uh, Rose's vision is that Bristol becomes so renowned for anti-trafficking that traffickers actually don't go through this city. And we know there's a word over this city, city of refuge, and I you know, see a, a sort of a wall around this city, and one of the walls will be around um, vulnerable women and children. So I know you're saying it, it's too big, and, and yet at the same time, I think those are the exact things that God puts on our heart um, because it's very close to his heart. He's a, a father that deeply cares for his children and wants them all to flourish, and they're all made in his image. And he has a call and a plan for all of them, and so he would that would be very close to his heart that, that women and children are not exploited but are released um, into a life of, of fullness. So is there any other reflections? We're going to have a response time now. Are there any other reflections or any other data or anything else you want to bring to us? I think I've covered it all and I hope I was not going to go away too depressed by this because what I would say is that these women are so amazing and funny and brave and oh my goodness, I could not, you know, imagine what it takes them to stand on those street corners, um, honestly. And, <clears throat> yeah, just your prayer in support of those women is, is fantastic and really appreciate that. And, um, I would just say that I feel really blessed that I've always felt God, um, really loudly pointing me in the right direction with my career. <laughs> and absolutely with where I am now, it's been a really difficult 18 months and it, I talked to Alice recently about it because of the fact that some of my projects were coming through and working and it's been such a massive fight to get here. But, um, yeah, I just think God's teaching me patience and his timing is phenomenal. And um, it's really lovely to be in a position where um, things are starting to move and change and it feels like it's a massive wheel that's been really heavy and I'm trying to get it going and it's just now that momentum's starting to build. Um, yeah. And just thank you to all the elders and stuff for your continued support and prayer. Um, there's a 19th century Christian missionary called C.T. Studd who wrote, who said very famously, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I think that's why we're here. And that's, is being able to have the privilege of partnership with lots of you and particularly Rose, who are, who are right at the coalface of the suffering of human condition. I don't think there's anything more traumatic in peacetime. I, I can't think of anything more tough and dark. And we want to really support Rose um, in what she's doing. So there'll be a number of responses to that. Some of you, it's just, you know Rose now. You know a lot about her. And when you see her on a Sunday or in the week, you can, you can just be championing her. She's a really fun person. Just so cool. <laughs> just a brilliant person. And, and that is just that friendship and love and joy and family. Others of you may feel particularly like, do you know what? I would actually want to stand with, with Rose in praying for these breakthroughs 
in actually the labour pains of birthing a, sh- a shift in some of these areas, protection over some of those projects she's initiating, and actually feel a call to pray. Other people are working in other sectors here that will intersect and may be interested in partnerships and in, in conversations around different different areas that, that maybe there can be some collaboration. There's some very practical gifts, the gifts of the Christmas presents, that Rose is going to put out and we can put a list again on the fortnightly thought as well about that, um, how we can bless these women. And some of us may just be remembering there are 120 women on street and, and, and there are off street sex workers who actually, every time I think about it, I think of Psalm 139, the, the darkness is as light to you. They're not unseen to God. He sees everything. He sees everyone. He's fully present. And just just a tender prayer that in the right way, in the right time, that this is all called into the light because that's the reality is light. And we're all better when things are called into the light because that's, that's what is actually true. And so we can pray for the women that, that Rose knows and pray for those that we don't, we don't know their name, but we know that, that God does. So it's... Uh, 10 past 12 now if anyone would like to collect uh, their children they have to, key stage 2 particularly have to go over to the primary school I would love to welcome anyone here who wants to lay hands on Rose now and come and pray for her if you feel called to something else, something else has triggered through this and you want to gather people around and pray that would be great and uh, Sam's going to be leading some worship and singing over us, and we can we can worship. But I'm going to do a sort of overall prayer for Rose now. We want to minister to Rose. We want to minister to this area. And so please connect with what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do. The great thing about God is he just puts everyone in place to achieve his kingdom purposes. And everyone has a part to play and everyone can celebrate what other people are doing. And today we want to partner with Rose and celebrate who she is and what she's doing. Lord, I cannot thank you enough for Rose. The, The verse that comes to mind time and time again is the appointment of Esther in the book of Esther for such a time as this. You have raised her to this position for such a time as this. We break the glass ceiling above her. We, we bless every project to multiply. We bless every woman and child to be known, to be seen, to know they're loved. And we bless us and Rose and Rose's partners in the police and in, in charities and, and Christian partners to show your love to these women and children that they are safeguarded. And we agree with Rose's vision that this city fulfills its name, that it's the city of refuge. There's a stronghold around it. And it is a place where people do not get trafficked because people are valued here, because the police, the initiatives just make it, it's just not worth anyone's while. This is a safe uh, city and a city of refuge and we want to just stand by Rose in that. And we call into the light for each one of us what we, what we, the part we want to play in supporting Rose or maybe areas that have been you know, kind of come into the light for us, for our own work that, that could intersect, that could bring more, it brings more clarity to our own work as well. We want to bless Rose. We protect her, Steve, 
um, Isaac and Eliza. May they know your love, your joy, your pride, your pleasure, your honour of them as a family and your incredible delight in partnering with a human that cares so much about the last, the least and the lost. That's, that's what we're here for, to be the delegated authority, to be the humans that represent you well on earth. And we just praise you that Rosa said yes to the, to the, the calling and the passion on her heart. Amen. Amen. So please collect your children. We've officially finished, but I would love anyone who wants to gather around and pray for Rose now and prophesy over her and bring her words of encouragement. Can we just give her a massive round of applause? (laughs) 